All right, we're back. We're going to try this again. Everything still looks good on my end. Looks good before. Problem seems to be in our phone system again. Uh, we'll wait until we can um, get Pete and Leroy back here because that seems to be the problem. I can't tell what's going on on my end because everything looks good. Uh, but it's the phone system. Angie, are you hearing me any better now? Uh, okay. Sounds like we might. Okay, good. We got it. I'm not sure what I did. All I did was restart a couple things, and uh, things seem to be working. So um, we will get to your calls and questions here for the Power Hour pretty quickly. Jump in and join us. Looks like we've got everything working now. So 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. I am still on a long extended road trip. I'm not going to be home for Thanksgiving this year. It might be the first time ever I've been gone for Thanksgiving. I think it is. You know, I posted this morning a lot of people um, couch surf. I've been driveway surfing. On this trip, I've spent a lot of time in, in driveways and parking lots, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, yesterday, I talked to several drivers here at Fleet Air Filter, and uh, I've got to hang out and spend a lot of time with people, so it's been good. All right, looks like we're getting... Pittsburgh Power back in here. Angie, is Bruce joining us today? I haven't seen anything about that yet, and I don't see him on the board. All right, we've got some calls coming in. We'll find out what is on. Okay, we're still looking for Bruce. We'll find out what's on uh, Pete and Leroy's mind, and then we'll get to your questions. They're starting to come in, so uh, maybe we'll get this dumpster fire back on track here in a couple minutes. That was not a good start at all today. Um, I thought I was all set and ready to go. I got a decent night's sleep last night. Not great, but better than I've had in about two weeks. So I thought I was ready. I guess I wasn't. But we are now, so we will, uh, we will bring in Pete and Leroy. Can you guys hear me this time? Oh, now we can hear you. Oh, there we go. You're a little quiet. Turn up the volume on your board. Oh, boy. Yeah, it sounds like you're way in the background. That's how you sounded. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, is that any better? Uh, it's a little better. We could use more volume if you've got it, though. Better. Okay. Maybe it... Yeah, we'll go Wait. with it. Angie says your your volume is normal on her end, so maybe it's just me. I can hear you, yeah, so you know. let, let's go ahead. Good yeah. morning. What's on your mind today? Uh, you, Pete, you go ahead while I fiddle with this thing. Okay, so uh, real quick, we, we're having our Black Friday sale starts Friday, runs through to December 1st, and we're doing some bundles. Uh, we've got a couple called Bruce Bundles. Uh, you can guess what they are if you want. Um, pyrometer and Boost Gauge. That was going to be my first guess. <laughs> it's, it's Pyro Boost Gauge, Thermocouple Lead. Yeah, the whole setup yeah, for the, everything that you need to put those gauges in. Nice. And those are great gauges to have on the truck. And a 50-pound Boost Gauge, right? 50-pound Boost And a 7-foot lead? 7-foot lead, so conventionals. Oh. Um, if you would have a cab over, we have to go to a uh, 15-foot lead, but we don't see too many of those anymore. Can, can you make me a 45-foot lead? We do. We have 50-foot leads. Okay, I might need. That's what I would need. Yep. Yeah, we do have that. Got it. And then all I would and need is you to send somebody to with the eight hours it's going to take to wire it. Yeah, I remember putting those in coaches, and uh, that was a long day some days, running the the, the cable. The, the hose for the boost gauge and the wire for the pyrometer. We could just get like a wire hanger and then just like, like screw it to the side of the yeah, outside of it. Yeah, yeah just right along to the side. Well, let, do it really nice. 
Don't scrape anything. Well, I have a little story about that, and uh, it's also a testimonial for Starlink. So I don't know what it is with my Starlink satellite. I have abused that thing so bad. So when I was at Pittsburgh Power, um, hanging out in the back there all that time, that's when I used to have to take it out the window and then reach around and try to set it out there until I could go back outside and get it and put it up on the top. And I dropped it out of the window into the gravel and it landed right on its face and put some nasty marks on it. I thought, well, that thing's not going to work, but it did. And then uh, last week, the wind blew the cable, speaking of cables on the outside, the wind blew the cable and it landed right on the exhaust for my diesel fired heater. When the heater came on, it burnt the cable in half. Wiring that thing back together took me about an hour and a half. And they're proprietary cables. So yesterday, I pulled into Fleet Air Filter and I was getting ready to do the show. And I was kind of in a hurry. And I, I got out of order with my routine. Normally, I put the satellite up last after the coach is all leveled and the slides are open and everything's set up. But it takes a little while to boot up. So I thought, you know, I better just get the satellite up there and get that thing going first. <sighs> Unfortunately, then when I was putting my slide out, the slide caught the cable and I couldn't see it, didn't know it, and pulled the satellite right off the top of the coach. That's like a 13-foot drop. And it's still working. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just a, uh, you know... Uh, a good praise for that, a good review. Maybe you should write that on like their the website as a testimonial. Maybe if I do, they'll send me a new satellite, because I'm not sure how much more abuse this thing can take. <laughs> and borrowed time, probably, with that thing. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm a little worried about it. The, the uh, cable repair is pretty ugly. Um, the satellite itself looks like it's been through the war, and yet it's still working. So that seems to be the one part of my system that doesn't fail me. Yeah, everything else gives you trouble, though. <laughs> you know, I think most of my troubles are stemming around the phone system. That's the last piece that we've got to kind of replace, and we're, we're working on our own. But um, uh, this WebRTC yeah, RTC technology seems to be like the Wild West. Like, I've read all kinds of the programmers don't get part of the code right, and then it'll work in most situations, but it won't work in another. So we're trying to write our own WebRTC and make it a little more stable. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I'm not doing it. I'm just telling them what needs to be done. All right. All right what else we got? Yeah. So we got a couple other bundles as well. We have damper and balancer for NTCs and 14s, and then we're doing stuff with uh, tunes. So if you get a tune, there's a discount on tunes. All of them. Yep. Also uh, bundles, tune in a manifold, tune in a turbo. So the guys can check it out on our website. We have quite a bit of, a lot of good deals for the Black Friday sale. Yeah, and the tunes are tunes are 10% off, and that is remotely or in-house. And we also uh, want to honor if, you know, you're just not going to make it in the shop at that, at that time. So if you pay for it, like, while it's on sale, you know, we can do it whenever you get your you know, get to the dealer, get your truck back or whatever. So we're, uh, we're pretty lenient when it comes to that, but, uh, yeah, they, they don't go on sale very often. So it's, uh, take advantage good, of it. Take advantage of it. Yeah. Good time to jump in. Yes, that's for sure. All right. So we can't seem to find Bruce. Did you guys hear from him at all this morning? So he is visiting his daughter and for, for the holidays. So I, he didn't tell me he wasn't going to do the show, but he did tell me he was going to go see his daughter. So I think that might be why he's not on the show. Okay. 
He might have got his time zones mixed up, too, if he's traveling. They call possible. in at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The time zones can mess you up. The other day I was driving down the, the road, and I needed to get somewhere to get set up to do the show, and I was trying to figure out how far I could get. Could I get to my final destination, or did I need to stop sooner and do the show? And I hate doing that because then i got to stop, set up, tear back down, move again. So looked at the clock that was on my dash on the radio, and I'm like, oh, I have time. And then I looked at my watch. My watch was on a different time. And I looked at my phone, and it was, it, I think it agreed with the radio, but not the watch. And I was so confused. And I, I realized all I need to do is make sure one device is always set on Eastern time and just use that. And it turned out I almost screwed up. I was going to keep going because I thought I had time. And when I stopped, I only had 20 minutes left. I thought I had an hour and 20 minutes. But so the, the, the problem is I've been traveling right on the edge of the Eastern and Central time zone. And I kept crossing over and everything kept changing. And I just got very confused. That's tough. I, so coming back from the Dallas truck show the one year, I stopped in Bowling Green. Kentucky, right in that area, mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure what time it was because you know my phone might have changed. I don't wear a watch; I'm not sure. Did it change? Did it not change? <laughs> right. So I asked the girl at the hotel that waited on me what time zone we're in, and she gave me this blank look. No I mean, way. Total. Blank. And I'm like, you know, Eastern or Central? Well, what time is? She goes, Well, the clock says you know whatever nine o'clock. I'm like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you're the zones someplace in Bowling Green. I don't know exactly where, and I wasn't sure what hotel, you know, where I was at. And fortunately, there was an older lady there that came over and said, oh, so right where we're at, it depends on your phone or your watch could change back and forth at the time zone. Which would be terribly confusing for someone that worked in one time zone and lived in the next. <laughs> It'd be a nightmare. Is I'm it, not late to work. It's in the wrong time zone. <laughs> yeah, I know. So... I would imagine there have to be places, the way this works, that on one side of the street you're in one time zone and on one side of the street you're in the other. There's got to be a line somewhere. Yeah. yeah but that, this young girl it was clueless what I was talking about. So apparently she must have been on the same where she lived time zone as the hotel, or obviously she'd be late or early for work. Right. She had no idea. So, but without having a watch that doesn't change, I don't know if my phone changed or not, because you're not really watching for it. You're driving and just not paying attention. Well, wait, shouldn't we be able to use this to our advantage? Like, if I need another hour of time to work today, can I just go across the street? Sure. Yeah, yeah that, that would be an advantage. Yeah, I would think. Quentin time comes an hour earlier, too. Oh, hey, we got Bruce. Let's, uh... It's 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let's, uh, let's bring Bruce in so we can all talk over each other. Bruce, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? My... Good. I'm visiting my grandchildren. We're in Mexico, and I only get to see them twice a year, so a little bit late. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. That's a uh, that's a good excuse. I'm glad you're joining us, though. Is it warm in Mexico? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, there you are. I don't are. know if I'm going to be. Okay. I don't. Coverage down here. I can't text out of here. I can receive text messages, but I can't text. So this may not work. Well, we'll... Uh, it, it, nothing new. I had to restart about four times this morning because I couldn't get anything to work either. It seems like it's going to be one of those days. I'm going to go outside and see if that helps. It may be too windy. Okay. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna mute Bruce till he stops playing the uh, recorder on his phone. There, um, I'm not sure what that was. Uh, what else you guys got? Boy, we are off to a bumpy start this morning. That, that's it for me. I don't know what Lee might have. Um, yeah, you know, he just threw me off there. Uh, I mean, typical week in the shop. Got a lot going on. Um, oh, Pete, what about that? Uh, remember that big cam that was in the back with the leaky aftercooler thing that turned into grease? Okay, so we that had, was pretty cool looking. So we have a another big cam in the shop. Came in for an outer frame and an old Mac. And one of the guys pulled the aftercooler off. Now we've seen aftercooler elements leak before and sometimes if it's a fresh leak it's just wet like coolant if they're running some sort of um, stop leak in it it'll crust up we actually had one years ago at the old shop the customer's complaint was white smoke at an idle and everything was good we took the aftercooler off and what should be a, say a four inch size hole was the size of a quarter because the stop leak jammed everything up so the front two cylinders weren't getting any air in it so the truck would smoke all the time ah. but on this one it looks like grease yeah it's wild it, it, i've never seen antifreeze have that consistency to it and you think it's something to do with like a stop leak or something that would be my guess that... Using some sort of stop leak in there and it instead of getting hard and crusty it's just gooey that and sounds right like like after coolers like basically the same thing as EGR cooler. Same principle, air blows through and it cools it off. Right. So, I mean, if you put, like, an op leak in your system, man, that would just, that would really wreck your system <laughs> if you had that it, uh, that whole thing through there. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of op leak. You know, I, I've never used it. I, I've thought if I, if I ever, I don't know if I would ever find the right situation. I worry about that stuff. So, we have one um, called Iron Tight that works well. Now, we would use it uh, we started using it on the old big cams when they would have the counterbore leaks. So they would leak coolant underneath the head. Now, everyone thought it was a head gasket, but it wasn't. It was leaking between the liner and the block. And this would work fantastic for that. Um, or if you had a cracked bolt hole, something in that area, it worked well. Um, I've used it on a couple of my cars. I had a, it turned out to be a leaking freeze plug, but I couldn't find the leak. I would lose coolant, but never any signs of it anywhere. So I put the stop leak in it, which slowed it down considerably. But how I found it was I was underneath there doing an oil change and looked up and I could see where it was crusty on the freeze plug. And uh, that's how I found where the leak was at. Oh, uh, okay. But this, the iron tight works really well for certain types of applications. Uh, but it's not a fix-all by any means. I mean, if the radiator's leaking, it needs fixed. Yeah. It gets you home. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else we got? Uh, I mean, all I've, I've spent like 90% of my morning running a truck on the dyno consistently, just doing my best to just try to continue to pursue more fuel mileage out of these things. I was able to like program in the dyno to get like a brake specific fuel consumption number. Okay. So I had like feed in fuel flow and then, you know, do an equation to divide that by torque basically. So basically it's a ratio between, you know, how much fuel you're, you're using and how much power you're making. And the lower that number means for the same amount of fuel, you're making more power. And ah. that's the whole name of the game. Interesting. And, uh, I haven't, I've tried to do this on the dyno before, but um, hey. I, I finally got it to work because I actually had to program in like 1939 parameters into it. And that wasn't so easy in oh. the dyno system. Oh boy. And now that I got a number, it's the thing is that the number I'm getting, 
I think is a little bit off because it's like a calculated number, but I can see trends as far as like, oh, I had fuel pressure, the number goes down. I had boost, the number goes down. Like you can sort of see trends in the whole thing. Yeah. And um, a lot of interesting discoveries, like sort of this morning, I was trying to figure out like what RPM on this particular ISX engine would be best, uh, you know, because we always say like, should you be at this RPM right. or that RPM? Right. And this sort of showed me kind of what I... I guess I initially thought right around 13 to 1350, it was at its lowest point. And then if you would go below that, that number would start to creep up a little bit. And then if you would go above like to 1400 or so, it started to creep up too. So this particular engine seemed to be happiest around like the 13, 1350 mark. You going to continue doing that? Yeah. yeah. That, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to see some of those charts from different engines. Yeah. And it's going to take a lot of time. to. I plot. figured. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've seen from Joel, like, uh, the brake-specific maps with, like, they look like little islands. Right. Like a uh, work curve on top. If you wanted to figure out your islands and plot all that, I mean, you have to take, like, each data point, record it, move to the next horsepower, record it, and then do that for all the RPMs. I mean, it would take a while, but it would be um, it would be interesting. And then the tune, how it affects everything, that uh, right. changes it. But, yeah, I, I was like, oh, well. Lower is always better, right? Well, I mean, it seemed to, to actually start to go the other way when we dropped down to like 1,100 RPM on this thing. It did not seem to really care for that. Interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of been the last couple of days of my time. Got it. Um, All yeah, right. I just got to keep pushing. You know, and anytime you find a result like that, you have to like verify it. So like the next truck I pull in, I'll do the same test. Did I get the same thing? Did right. The same thing. Right. That could turn out to be a really interesting data set. Yeah. And I mean, eventually I would like to switch from a, a calculated fuel flow rate to um, like an actual fuel flow rate, which would mean you would have to measure the fuel flow on the inlet and the outlet and find the difference between them. Right. So if fuel flows into the engine, you would see how much it used. It would use some, and then there would be some that would come back out. So you would see, you know, uh, the difference across there, basically telling you how much fuel the engine's using. Yeah. But I'll have to talk to people about buying it. The, uh, I actually looked at those flow valves a couple times. They're not cheap. I mean, they're not horribly expensive it, to, to do it, you know, for something like you're doing where you could test with it. Um, but I realize why they don't put them on trucks. Because I always wondered, why, why don't we just really measure the fuel flow? And then I found out why. It's not really cheap. Yeah, and it just adds more probably complexity. Right. The and then like brakes, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, and um, I, I, I will say yeah. now, we, we've been tracking this a lot. The, the newer the truck is, the more and more accurate those fuel mileage gauges on the dash become, even though they're not measuring fuel flow. Their, uh, their algorithms are getting pretty sharp because those numbers are starting to get accurate. Yeah, it, I mean, I... I usually feel that way too i mean the most accurate way like we talked about a few months ago is obviously doing like reading type emissions figuring out how much carbon went in and how much carbon came out doing this carbon balance formula yada yada that is the most accurate way to measure fuel mileage but it's also the most extensive <laughs> like paint the ass like, the system up, yeah like hook everything like i'm not doing that if i'm just looking for general trends right you know what i mean right but the, the, you were saying about the calculated number being pretty close. One of the funny things was Alex was driving, one of the, the new guys we have, and I was sitting in the passenger seat with the laptop. And I was like, all right, well, let's try some maybe some pilot injections. 
So I put one in 15 degrees before it topped its center and about five milligrams. Like it's a tiny shot kind of early. And like our break specific number dropped like 30%. And <laughs> he like looks at me he's like, oh, it, it just dropped big time. I'm like, we didn't make any more power. Like this doesn't make any sense. Either I've found a way to make this engine 30% more efficient. <laughs> yeah, right. Or the number's wrong. Yeah. I think the number's wrong. So yeah, I think so. Reason, the fuel flow rate when I put a pilot in just dropped considerably. Um, yeah, interesting. Which just throws off the data, but yeah, I'm not that good. That'd be nice. But well, you'll get there. Not there. You're working on it. Yeah. Um, hey, Bruce, are you there? I am. Okay. Uh, you sound okay now. Okay. All right. Do you have anything today? I do not. Okay. Um, uh, I've got something to ask the, the group then. So I have been, you know, I, I tested a bunch of propane injection systems on trucks. And, uh, you know, at first it looks like, oh, yeah, look, I'm getting, you know, two more miles to the gallon. But then when you go back and calculate the, the extra fuel you're adding through the propane injection system, uh, it turned out to be the opposite. I got no real increase in fuel economy, and my cost and complexity went up. And I tested them over and over and over. I even had a company that they flew, the, the, the CEO of the company flew down to Orlando. They were out of Chicago. Um, I had the system on my truck, and I had already been testing it two weeks. And I was showing him the results. We would fuel every night, both diesel and propane, we would post the numbers every night, and after two weeks, there, there was just no improvement whatsoever. So he said, well, you have to tweak the system. Well, all right, so he flies down there, and he spends the next week tweaking the system every night, and no change. We, we could not show any savings whatsoever. In fact, it got more expensive. And that was with propane delivered to us every night at about the best price you were going to get. It, there, you can't get it on the road that cheap. I found a local company that would come out and do it. They gave me a great price. And at that price, we, it still just did not make any sense. Now, I was just reading a report. I was trying to find it, and I can't find it right now. Um, for, I think it's Ford pickup trucks. They put together a big propane deal and they are claiming that propane instead of diesel in these trucks. Now they're not doing propane injection. They, they modified these trucks to run on propane. They were claiming an increase of, now this must've been kind of severe duty, something uh, like nine and a half miles to the gallon on diesel. They were claiming almost 13 on propane. How is that possible? Propane has so much less energy in it than diesel does. This doesn't make sense to me. You said it was a gain of what? I, I uh, almost, almost three miles to the gallon. Three, almost four miles to the gallon, I think. Almost four miles to the gallon? Yeah. Yeah. No, that doesn't make any sense. I think, I think somebody did their math wrong. Like you said, it, it's, if you put another fuel source in, it looks like you use less diesel. Right. It's like the same thing like in sales. Like if you put a bunch of discounts on stuff, the top line goes way up. Like your total number of sales, how much money you actually made <laughs> yes. goes down as well. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, just, and this wasn't injecting propane into the diesel. This was running on pure propane. To me, the, the only outcome should be your fuel economy should go down. Now, we could argue about cost if you could get propane cheaper than diesel, but I can't see how a vehicle could get more 
miles to the gallon on a fuel that has a lot less energy in it. It did Now, I will have to say that whoever put this article together did not get their numbers right because they had some number in there that showed how many miles they ran all of these trucks over this whole test. And I did the math and somebody really screwed up because it was like they were getting like 3,000 miles a day per vehicle if you tried to do the math. Might even been worse than that. The number was so ridiculous, I can't even remember it. So obviously somebody screwed up that number. But the whole point of the article was about fuel economy. If they got that number wrong, but I, I don't see any other explanation. Yeah. No, I, I don't see that either. I mean, if there was really that much more potential, that would be the way that we're going. But instead of going the propane direction, people are even considering, like, the ammonia direction. Right. But, I mean, that just... If, if it made sense, people would already do it. Well, we've had... We've had propane and natural gas vehicles around for a long time. They don't get better fuel economy. They never have. They get worse they make, because there's not, they're cleaner burning. I get that. The last time, years ago, when fuel was up quite a bit, uh, everyone's throwing propane on stuff. And most of it was just adding the propane to the vehicle. And that just never pans out. No. It hasn't for 20 years. I don't know why they think it's going to change. Right. That's why I was shocked that they were even pushing and promoting this thing, but none of their numbers made sense. Yeah, especially 3,000 miles a day. I mean, that's trucking. Yeah. yeah. I actually think it was worse than that. It was some stupid number, like somebody really screwed up the math on this thing because they're not even close. I mean, at like 220 a mile, like, you know. Eh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to change career. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the um, the whole clean, green thing in trucking is kind of falling apart already. The um, the founder of uh, Nikola is, is, he might end up in jail. And I, I don't make a whole lot of predictions, but with the, the very first day they announced that truck, I went on their website, I tore it apart. I wish I could find the article I wrote. I wrote a really long article about it, tore apart all their numbers and said that this just isn't even possible. These numbers don't even make sense. Uh, and now he's about to go to jail for fraud. I mean, that whole company's a dumpster fire. Um, one of the companies that was right near you guys that had all kinds of press for the last several years, they're getting out of the drivetrain business and trucking completely. Highly on. They're just going to drop oh, really? the... Yeah. They're, they're done. They're just going to go work on fixed generators. I thought they had like a, a hybrid truck system. They did. They had a whole hybrid axle. You could put it under a trailer. You could put it on a tractor. They built a couple tractors with their system. They were getting press everywhere. And now they just announced that they're just getting out of the drivetrain business. Ran out yeah, of, we, uh, we did a lot of dyno testing for them years ago. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't that amazing, huh? Everything comes and goes, but good old diesel fuel seems to be the common denominator that stays. You know, can't we just put a little common sense into this? If people want to try to build electrics and hybrids and all that, knock yourself out. Go do it. I, I'd like to see it. I think there is some potential there eventually. But let the free market work it out and don't. California and some of these other rules where, where they're going to force out internal combustion engines. Why ever do that? Why not just leave it as an option? So I was talking the other day to a guy that sold several car dealerships 
in the Baltimore area. And he got out uh, at a younger age. He said the manufacturers were are forcing the electronic or the electric cars on you and just shipping them to you. You don't even order them. Oh. You don't even get to pick the colors. And uh, I knew Hallmark card stores do that. They'll just ship you cards and ship you things, and you can't return it. Well, it seems like car manufacturers are doing the same thing. And I asked an Audi dealer, I said, why do you have so many black cars when it's so hot here? He said, we don't have any control over it. We take whatever they ship us. So I, I can't imagine trying to run a car dealership like that. Well, that's, that's true. And so this fellow that uh, I forget what brands, oh, he was one of the largest Kia dealers. He was the largest for two years in a row in the ball. And he was out of Baltimore and he's done. He said, if you gave me a Kia product now, I'd pay somebody to tow, to drive it away. He was that upset with Kia. Wow. So there's a lot of things behind the scenes that we don't see. What a mess. That's why you see a lot of the EV cars sitting on dealership slots. And this fellow told me people aren't buying them. Well, they're certainly not going to now. And if I lived in a city and never left, I would buy one. But uh, not when you want to go a distance. Hey, I'm on the radio show. And so the, um, the real expensive one, the one that's built in Phoenix... Oh, the Lucid? Came out, Kevin. Lucid, how is that doing? I haven't seen anything about Lucid in maybe a year. I almost forgot about that one. That was a beautiful car, but I haven't seen anything more about it. Yeah, I have guy four doors down for me has one. He loves it, but uh, it's supposed to go 500 miles on a charge, but... Is that with a heater or air conditioner going? Well, you know they're going to do exactly like they do with fuel mileage on, on cars. You, that's everything you're going to see is best case scenario. You're never going to see that vehicle get more than that. And m- in most cases, you're always going to see it get less. That's my guess. Yeah. You I know, here, would like to try one, but it, it's, not, it's not suitable for my... Well, here, right, so. here's where I am on this. I actually said when I bought my last vehicle, new vehicle, and that was five or six years ago, and I'm still happy with it, uh, that the next car I bought would be electric, and it would be a Tesla. I, I wouldn't even mess with anybody else's cars. Tesla's proven that most people are pretty happy with theirs. But I'm to the point, and it would be fine for me. I mean, I could use a Tesla. If I had a home charger and a Tesla, it would be fine. I mean, it 99% of the time, it would be all I would need. But I'm to the point now, I'm not going to do it. I, I'm just not going to support this nonsense. Hmm. Wow. You certainly did a 180. I did. I, I was I was very optimistic. I'm still optimistic about the technology, but if you remember right, I said there's a really good chance the government's going to screw this up really bad. And they have, and they have, they've just put such a bad taste in my mouth, I don't want any part of it now. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's get hey, to. I, got to, I have some news. Okay. Did you know, Caterpillar is moving, uh, Caterpillar is moving out of Peoria, Illinois. Wow. Where are they going? Well, the headquarters is in Texas somewhere. Uh, some of the plants are in Arizona. There's a big axle plant. It's 100,000 square feet, employs 600 people, makes axles for the earth moving equipment. Some of them weigh as much as 100,000 pounds. 
And that's in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. As long as they're keeping it here in the U.S., good for them. I have a feeling they're leaving because yeah. of Illinois politics and taxes. They were leaving. They are leaving Illinois because the governors will not work with them. There you go. And the governor of, of North Carolina welcomed them with open arms and came yeah. to the groundbreaking ceremony. And the list goes on. One of my best friends now is a retired mechanical engineer from Caterpillar. Well, good for them. So whenever we're together and people say, what do you do? I, I tell them about Cummins Cat in Detroit. And he has to remind me, no, it's the other way. It's Caterpillar Cummins in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> uh well he's, he's I, a good guy hey well when you I, you know i met him and i told him i i was gonna say uh, you can you can justify that list because the way he said it is in alphabetical order oh that's right <laughs> so when i saw him he had a caterpillar sweatshirt on and i said you have an engine to go with that shirt he looked at me and he's he's a pretty tall husky guy he said i was uh, a retired mechanical engineer from caterpillar i saw oh, i helped make the 6nz famous and he said what's a 6nz i said if you don't know what a 6nz is you weren't with caterpillar he's up on the earth moving equipment oh. truck engine. we don't deal with that yeah <laughs> yeah all right let's uh we had a lift we had a we had a boat lift we were working on the other day and uh, it was shifted six inches too much to the to the left side, and uh, we worked and worked on that, and we're standing back looking. I said, you know, that beam's just six inches too long, but we can't cut it off because of the pulleys, the thing that holds the pulleys welded on. So then we got to look, and we could just loosen up all the other beams and slide it over, and that's what we did. And I said, it took a Caterpillar engineer and a Cummins set to figure that thing out. But you got it. We got it. There you go. All right. We're going to get to some calls because they're piling up on us. Let's go to Colorado to get started. Anthony, welcome. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, so I got a couple of questions. Uh, one is uh, I'm kind of new to these big trucks. I've been wrenching my whole life. But um, shock absorbers, is there a specific mileage where you change them out, or do you wait until they start leaking before they're bad? Well, you know, it, it's kind of a, an interesting topic. Uh, from what I gather, and, and I got a lot of this information from Mike Beckett over the years, it, these the, the shock absorbers that we buy and put on these trucks really are wore out before 75,000 miles. He said they're, they're, they have very little dampening effect after 75,000 miles. And I'll bet there are trucks out there with a million miles with the original shocks still on them. Because hardly anybody ever changes shocks. We got into the, the really, you know, high-end um, Road King shocks, which were I incredible in their performance. Unfortunately, we had some quality issues in the beginning, some horrible customer service issues, and we just couldn't ever solve them. And then I think the company got out of making the shocks. Uh, they were really expensive to make. And if they might have fixed some of the issues and been a little friendlier with customer service, they may have survived. It was a very expensive shock. And there's almost no issue with tire wear and shocks. You can have worn out shocks and the tires still wear. Now, Mike Beckett would claim if you kept really good serviceable shocks on all the time, you would get more miles out of your tire. You don't see any weird wear patterns, but I guess they wear faster without good shocks. The problem is you'd be changing shocks constantly. And I just don't think there's enough benefit to it. 
I, I don't even know. I don't even have a good recommendation on when people should play shocks. Is anybody else? Well, we we had, you know, we were going to get into it, and we have met with three different people. Some were new machine shops. Some were people that already make existing shocks. And then we started to give them how many different part numbers we need, and all three people walked away from it. I'll bet. So, it, so it, do you, some it, of the people were actually pretty ignorant. Some of them were very ignorant to deal with. They acted like they were God. And when you come across like that to me, I don't want anything to do with you. Oh, yeah, I, I get that, too. What do you guys see as experience in your shop? How often does anybody ask you to replace shocks? We're, we don't see that. We don't hear that. I didn't think so. I mean, I hardly ever get any questions about it. Nobody ever. This is the first question I've had now, but two years um, about shocks. Other than it, for a while, I had sh questions about where Road King went. But um, I just don't see people replacing shocks. My guess is there is not a fleet anywhere that replaces shocks on their trucks ever. I bet they just get rid of the trucks and it's got the original shocks on them. You're probably right. You can't even get the fleet to, to realize that spending a penny a mile on fuel-borne catalyst saves them five cents a mile on trucks being down, and they just can't see that 500 to 1 return. You, you know why I think, Bruce? I think they, they have figured out that the newer trucks, just like cars, we don't replace things the way we used to. And these fleets have gone to a almost zero preventative maintenance policy. They do almost no preventative maintenance whatsoever. They push their oil drains way out. They they do almost nothing because they realized their trade-in cycle is usually somewhere between four and 600,000 miles. And they realized there is no point in doing any of that stuff because it doesn't matter to them. It wouldn't It wouldn't lower the cost of owning the equipment. It actually raises it. The problem is the next buyer gets screwed. But we are seeing, doesn't matter what names on the belt cover, all engines between 250 and 300,000 are really suffering from emission problems. Right. But and the fleet will be the magic number. Yeah. And then the fleet, you know, at 400,000 will get rid of it. Mm hmm. That seems to be the pattern. Okay. Anthony, I know that wasn't much of an answer, but uh, that's the best I got for you. Okay. So the other question Maybe I have you ought to is, just re replace your shocks once a year and you'd probably be okay. Okay. I mean, I've I've been in the truck for 150,000. I've never replaced them. I've got almost 480,000 miles on the truck. So I am starting to get some bounce and a little bit of more rough ride. Yeah. Um, I've read conflicting things. 150,000 seems to be a number that people shoot for. Uh, I know that it could wear out on the inside and not you know, lose the dampening and when yeah. it's not leaking. So. The other thing uh, I would at least look at, look at what states you're running into. Uh, if you're on the rough roads the whole time, then it, naturally it's going to wear them out faster. Hey, yeah, that's, that's, you know, Colorado. So, <laughs> Hey Pete. Yes. Is there a way for you to look up like what shocks are available? If I came into you and I said, Hey, just order me the best premium shock you can get me is there anything or are they all basically standard shocks i would say they're all standard shocks i mean we occasionally you know have a truck in a shop and a guy will say go ahead and put shocks on it we just get it you know from a local warehouse and what they have on you know whatever is available is what we put on 
Yeah. Hmm. All right. What else you got, Anthony? So uh, a couple shows ago I was listening, and uh, did I hear correctly that Bruce is going to be doing an event in Grand Lake, Colorado in February? Yes, you did. That's the owner-operator snowmobile conference, and we meet. We'll be at the Gateway Inn. Darcy is our contact there. So if you're going to come, um, make your reservations through Darcy. And if you need to rent a sled, it's called On the Trail Sleds, and we have their number available. I don't have it with me right now. But what, uh, uh, we meet February February 21st. It's a Wednesday, and we ride okay. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and leave on Sunday. Sounds like fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I do. I do have one more quick question for you guys. I'm planning on coming out in March and having a bunch of stuff done. Pete uh, worked me up a great quote. Is it possible to work something out with the Black Friday sale where I could prepay for some of that? Yes. And possibly yep. save oh, some absolutely. money? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Oh, good thinking. So it wouldn't be a okay, problem. So, Pete, I'll, I'll email you today, and then we can just deal with it after Thanksgiving or whenever you get to it. Okay, absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate you, Kevin. Great show. All right. Thanks for the call. Wish I had a better answer for you, but uh, that's all we got. Let's go to Ontario. Ryan, welcome. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've, I've got a question on uh, tuning on a BT-466. Hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, Ryan, I need you to get closer to the microphone or speak up or something. It sounds like you're in the other room. How's that? Uh, a little bit of background noise, but I can hear you better. Go ahead. Yeah, let me let me pull over. I'm in this old dinosaur, and she's pretty noisy in here. Um, how's that? Is that any better? Yeah, go ahead. We can hear you now. Okay, perfect. I've got a an old DT four sixty six International. It's got the Bosch P pump on it, and I'm uh, I've been tuning it a little bit, trying to get a little bit more power out of it. Um, I started with installing the boost and pyrometer um so bone stock it was doing uh like 23 pounds of boost and about a thousand degrees on the hot side so i moved the fuel plate up in the uh in the pump which got me up to 25 pounds of boost which was hitting the wastegate but it was going to like 1400 degrees like really fast so i I pinched off the wastegate line on the turbo, which brought me up to 32 pounds of boost and about 13, 13, 1350 on the pyro on a hard pull. Just wondering, am I, am I overdoing all this stuff on this engine? Should I be, should I be I, taking I, it down some or? I, no, I think you should leave the plate where it is. You have the thermocouple on the hot side. But you need to find a larger turbo. When when you're going from you increase everything by thirty three percent, no fifty percent actually, increased by fifty. Um, you need to get a bigger turbocharger on that. Okay, uh, I was wondering if pushing it that hard was going to because I I watched your video on YouTube and you were talking about driving with an egg under your foot and I noticed when I got it to thirty. If I let out of it too hard, it was pulling the engine so hard I could hardly get it back out of gear. And I figured that's probably, damn it, going to break something. 
Now, um, any recommendations so, on a turtle? Wait, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Go back to that. I had to let someone in. Um, are you telling me that whenever you were at 30 pound of boost and you would ease back on the throttle, what would happen? If I just let off it because um, my driving habit with this truck, because it's so lethargic, is foot right on the floor and then I just let off it as fast as I can to get another gear. And when I had the turbo spooling up like at 32 pounds, if I let off the throttle too fast, it would almost pull back the engine hard enough that it was hard to pull the transmission out of gear until the boost came down to like, you know, 10, and then it would slide out. You're always supposed to release fuel slow. Uh, You're putting that turbo into a tremendous shock if you just pick your foot off it. Yeah, and I, 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 when you said that on that YouTube video, I'd never experienced it till I started uh, pushing this thing a little bit, and uh, that got me thinking. You're, I'm pulling off too hard. So since I did this, I've been driving like you say, with with letting off slow and letting the boost come down slow. But I was, so you don't think the 1350 is too hot for the engine? Oh, no, just, I didn't. I need a bigger no, turbo. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, that's why we need to get a bigger turbo and move more air. We need a bigger compressor. We need a bigger compressor wheel. And we need to, and a slightly larger turbine housing. So we got to figure out which turbo will work in that 466. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that, that would be, I would like to do it because now that I've, I turned it back down because it was scaring me that I was going to break it. And I work this truck every day, so I don't want to, I don't want to break it, uh, but I missed that power now. So that is my next step. Now, what? any idea what I would do to try and find what turbo would be uh, the right fit for this engine? What we have to do is look at other engines, see what engines are in. What, what was your horsepower stock? Uh, the stock is 250. 250. So and it has a charged air cooler and everything, yeah. So Pete, mm-hmm. Pete, and your calculator, take uh, the 8.3 and see if that's around 460 cubic inches. Yeah, because I think in liters, this one's 7.6 liters. Okay, so uh, if it's 7.6, then we can use a whole set off of a 400 and some horsepower 8.3. Now, what we have to do is see if your turbo spins in the same direction as the whole set and how is our feed line and drain line going to be? feed line and drain line you can always make up but we have to make sure that the turbo's spinning in the right direction right so it doesn't become a vacuum cleaner well no 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 if uh so the turbo will fit under your hood and oh, it depends okay. on your exhaust manifold okay right so, um Give Pete a call after the show, and Pete, let's see what are the different turbos that are available for the 8.3, and then we need to see what his... Can you get us the part number of your turbo? Can you call International and get us the part number of your turbo and the make? It's probably an error search, and yeah, then that will give us Garrett something to it. go by. Garrett yeah, is an error search. So... You call International and get the part number. Pete, you'll call one of our suppliers and 
see, let's find the A over R ratio of that turbine housing and what size compressor will and the A over ratio of the compressor. And I think we can help you on this one. Oh, that sounds great. I will definitely get that information for you because, uh, like I said, when I had it turned up, it was, it was, it was ran just like you always talk. It felt like the truck was running free finally, where it always, since I've owned it, it always feels like you're, you're gripping the steering wheel trying to get it to go faster right. or pull harder. Right. So, yeah. Wait, do you get, get a bigger, tur- wait, do you get a bigger turbo one and then you'll really feel free? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So I'll get that information, and I'll give Pete a call after the show. I really appreciate it. All right. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks All for right. the call. There, Pete, you got a project. Okay. There you go. Get on it. All right. We're going to go to Alabama. Bill, welcome. How y'all doing? I hope y'all have a good Thanksgiving. Same to you. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I just want to... Uh, I just want to thank Leroy for uh, guiding me in the right direction on this uh, turbo actuator issue that I had. It's all fixed now, but if you could read and follow QuickServe and Insight, boy, there ain't much you can't fix on a Cummins. I can tell you that. Yeah, it's but, funny how they but, did, huh? The, the instructions are pretty clear, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the first time I've ever messed with one, and I was in the... the the um, fault, I thought it was a, a software glitch. That's why I called you, because you're the, you're the guru in that department. And you're just like, well, see if you got power. And I had plenty of power. So I'm like, well, it sounds to me like an actuator. So took it off, cleaned it, uh, re- uh, exchanged the part, put it on, torqued it, uh, uh, calibrated it. And then uh, then I the last thing I did was regen the system. Well, I tell you. Between all the work you guys did on my truck and then now this actuator, um, I, there ain't no doubt that I can't make a million miles off this truck. Well, yeah, I'm I'm really happy that that worked out. I remember talking to you on the phone about it, and we're mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of both like, yeah, you know, it kind of sounds like it's an actuator. I know those are expensive, and that's always a oh, hard yeah, thing. They work. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to just be like, yeah, just put an actuator on. It's not like it's a fuel filter. You know, where they're fairly mm-hmm. cheap. Like, yeah, spin a new one on and see what happens. This one you kind of have to be pretty sure about before you put an actuator on, but I'm just yep. really happy to know. Yeah, I just, I just want to thank you because I like to try to do everything in-house. And, and Well, I don't have to take things to a, like a dealer or a shop, try to save as much money after I spent so much. All my profits this year went to the truck. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm good. Well, good. I'm happy. All right. Appreciate it, guys. You're no welcome. Problem. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Missouri this time. Nick, welcome. How are you now? Good. What can we help you with today? Uh, two, two things real quick. Uh, time zones. If you go on your phone, click on the clock icon. Uh, at the bottom, there's a tab that says World Clock. You can click on that. You can see what time it is in New York. Or you can set it up for other different cities, so you always know the current time. Uh, shock. There's a company that's doing King Shocks for big trucks called HD Shocks. They're a uh, aluminum body serviceable shock. So there's that for that fellow looking for good shocks. Uh, question for you. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to look up that company so I have them as an option. Um, certainly looks ex- right. exactly like a Road King Shock, same colors and everything. Yeah, there you go. Uh, fuel filters. Um, thoughts on filling the fuel filters? With Lucas uh, fuel uh, fuel injector cleaner, uh, the Lucas fuel 
additive and uh, sorry, dog barking in the background. Um, and and, and uh, putting them on the truck that way rather than filling them full of fuel. Yep, it's something we, you know? we do here, and we've done it on our Dodge pickups. And what is used is simply send back to the tank is return fuel. So yeah, that's a good practice. Helps clean the injectors out. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. I know uh, it used to take your Ford Power Stroke to the Ford garage and and have a level one fuel injector cleaner done. That's what they did. They just filled up the filter with uh, with fuel injector cleaner, and that was <laughs> that was what you got. It's kind of a rip off, really. But uh, so okay, good to know. Just wanted to make sure. I've been doing that for years, and just want to make sure I wasn't doing anything uh, ill advised. Question number two, um, just uh, kind of getting on board with these extended oil drains and going to be doing the OPS and all that, uh, and, and um, rear ends and transmissions as far as oil drain, uh, what going along those same thoughts of it doesn't need change until the sample says it needs change? Are you sampling the no. and kind of doing them that well, way, or what's your rule of thumb on changing the the change it up you know i've always just gone with the oem recommendation of five hundred thousand miles and every five hundred thousand miles i would do it it's a long enough drain that i'm not even going to bother trying to see if i really need it or not just go ahead and do it but i do recommend when you change it go ahead and do a sample that way if there if there's something wrong in there we'll at least get that information at that time but i've never seen do, do you guys see these components fail all that often? And if they do, was it an oil problem? I mean, the synthetic oil at 500,000 miles seems to do really well. We're not yeah, seeing any we problems. Do not. Go ahead. What was that? Pete? Yes. I think we're losing Bruce. But, yeah, we don't see problems with uh, oil-related issues with drive lines, rear ends, transmissions. Yeah, I, I see almost none, zero. So I've just always gone. Now, here we'll go back to the fleet thing again. If you buy a truck from a fleet and it's past 500,000 miles, even well past like 700,000, change it because they didn't. I can almost guarantee you that the fleet never does this. They just get rid of the truck. And even if they keep the truck to 600000 they're not doing it at 500000 But I think, you know, an owner-operator, if you just stay on that 500,000-mile schedule, use synthetic, you're not going to see a problem. And, and while you're changing it, I would sample it just to see if we find something. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next question, fleet air filters. I'm in a 389 with a trash can, huge air filters. Uh, I understand there's other benefits other than performance, um, but... I'm probably not going to see any performance benefits as far as mile per gallon or anything like that if I went and switched to a fleet versus these paper on these big-ass Bruce, I, filters. Bruce, I know you talk right? about this a lot, and I think you're a big fan of the fleet air filters on the twin cans. I'll, I'll tell you the other benefits yeah. other than performance and fuel mileage. It's a lifetime filter. There's a big savings there right. over time. If you keep the truck long time, there, there's a big savings in that. And we do see that when they're oiled properly, the oil sample stays cleaner. Yeah. So you have cleaner air coming in. Your silicon level should be lower with the fleet air. And you'll hear the turboso better on the 389 and 379s and W9s than you do through the paper. So that way you know it's working less to get the uh, air. 
But here's the big advantage. If you run through one of those really heavy downpours, the type that your windshield wipers are going as fast as they can, you still can hardly see where you're going, that, that water's going into that paper air filter. And then it plays havoc on the turbo because now it can't get air, and it'll suck oil right out of the compressor side of that turbo. Where with the foam filters, the fleet air filters, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I get that. I just, uh, I mean, I was looking at my uh, my intake gauge here yesterday. Even that full boost pulling a hill, I'm seeing like one to two inches of mercury uh, for a vacuum, and I'm like okay, that's pretty much, I'm going to call that zero. I'm like, if I do the fleet air filters, yeah, there's other benefits, but one of them is probably not going to be uh, performance. I mean, it's getting all the air it could possibly ask for. Yeah, you're right. I I agree with that. Okay. okay, guys, that's all i got. Thank you. All right, thanks for the call. Let's go this time to Nebraska. Patrick, welcome. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, what I'm going to tell you about uh, oil weight and interval changes. Um, I heard you talking to a lady that had a 2019 Cascadia DD13, and you were telling her that um, uh, 10W30 was the uh, preferred weight and uh, in a much longer change interval. Uh, I've got a 2016 International Pro Star with the uh, ISX15 in it. Um, would those same things apply to this this setup here? I'm not positive. That was right around the time they were changing. Um, one of the oil companies hired me to do a couple seminars on the new API classifications that were coming out around them because we, we, we now have two API classifications. We've never had that before. We have the, the standard that we've been using forever and that's always been uh, backwards compatible but this time the engines had changed so much that they couldn't make an oil that was good for the new engines and was backward compatible for the old engines. So we now have two API classifications. Your best bet is to look in your manual, see what they recommend for that specific engine. You can always use 1030, even if it's not the recommended. It, it's, a, it's a better oil for fuel economy. Uh, still protects really well. I know people running it in older, older engines, and it's doing just fine. Uh, as far as drain intervals, I don't know what a 2016 ISX is. Does anybody know that offhand? Now, I don't know the mileage, but I do know as far as recommended oil, you can run 1540 or 1030, and the only time you don't, like you would pick 1540 if you're basically spending your summers in Vegas. Um, or you pick the 1030 if you're you winter in Minnesota. Um, but other than that, you could use either oil. Um, they, they give you a, a temperature chart, and it overlaps almost like 90%. Yeah. It's simply the extremes in temperature that they say, oh, okay, you can't run 1030 in Vegas, and we don't want you running 1540 in Minnesota when it's 20 below. Um, but you know, other than that, you know, Pardon me? Hey. Pete is North Dakota. <laughs> I, I would think might, so. Might be worse. Let me <laughs> let me <laughs> let me ask something though. It, look, the, like you said, Pete, that the temperature charts overlap about ninety percent. Let's say I am going to spend all summer long in Las Vegas or Phoenix or wherever. Shouldn't that truck be running at the same operating temperature anyway? Well, I think the oil temp would get up. I know 
on the ISX or the X15 engines, oil temper runs hot. I mean, they'll bobtail at over 200 degrees. And in, in hot climates, um, sometimes they'll set the warning light off. Okay. So I think All right. a little bit of thicker oil would be better um, in that case. They, they, they you really push the limits on oil temperature on the X15s. Okay. So, Patrick, I, I doubt this that. Is, this is a, it's an ISX. Oh, I mean, um, yeah, right. It, okay. All right. You're, um, nobody runs so, in, in in the kind of temperature extremes enough that I would worry about that. I, I think it's such a fringe okay. issue that I wouldn't even worry about that. If it were me, I would run ten thirty. Just a more efficient oil. It, okay. It's protecting the engines really well. I haven't seen any problems at all with it. As far as the drain interval, I just don't remember what the ISX was in that year. And what your truck well, is uh, the truck is a 2016. 16. Okay. Well, we're, um, you guys are doing that. I can look online to see what um, Cummins recommends. Yeah, so what I've been doing is about every 25, and I run the, the catalyst in it, and, um, oh. and I, I, I just started within the last few months. I've, been, I've been also been putting the uh, power service uh, uh, in it as well. Is that okay to mix those two? Yes. You know, I just okay, remembered it Cummins is the, the one that if you use their oil, you can extend out to 75,000. When did they start that? So that would be with the, the X-15s. Now, that's as long as a couple things. Right. You use their oil, their samples, and I think the sample rate was like every 10,000 miles. It was short. Ooh. And oh. you let them monitor your truck live. You know, how they, oh, they, they, okay. So that was for the, the newer trucks. That, um, and I think it was seventy-five or 80,000 miles. It was, yeah. It was uh -huh. a lot. That was, they would still honor warranty with that mile of oil change as long as you followed their guidelines. Okay. Okay, uh, so last question on this oil. Uh, the other thing you were saying, Kevin, was uh, to run a synthetic a question I have, I, I do have a, uh, a, a small oil leak. It's, it's not real bad. It won't um, change a thing. Uh, In, instead does of, that matter? No, it doesn't matter. Instead of two ounces or, you know, a half an ounce every thousand miles leaking, it'll be one-tenth more than that, maybe. Um, synthetic oils okay. are a little thinner. They actually have a, a, a stronger film strength, but they're a little thinner. That old myth about when you put synthetic oil in, it starts leaking everywhere yeah. is nothing but a myth. Yeah. That's, it's not true. Okay. Okay. I run synthetic All in right. everything, uh, and I have for decades now. I mean, it really just is a superior oil. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'll probably need to buy it in advance and, and take it over to the shop because I... I I doubt those guys have it. Maybe they do. I don't know. Um, but uh, so where, where would I? Should I just buy it online, or what's the best way to get it? To get what? I missed that. What? Which uh, brand oil. of oil? Yeah, what brand are you looking brand. for? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't uh, Kevin. Kevin said he likes the Rotella. I, I don't, you know what, I, I don't know anything about it. So whatever, uh, whatever you guys well, think it, would be best for it, this it, engine. Here's what I'll tell you. I, I've tested so many different oils, so many different ways. I can't find, honestly, a bit of difference between any of them. I've used really premium oils, Royal Purple, Schaefer's, a couple others. They do great. 
but I can't tell you they did any better than Rotella does. Rotella does outperform some oils just because of its high zinc content, and zinc is really protective. So Rotella's priced well, easy to find, and does just as good as any other oil. I have challenged people, oil companies come to me and want me to represent their oil, and the first thing I ask them is if you can prove to me that your oil is really better than somebody else's, and I could go on the air and confidently tell people why, we can talk. But if you can't, then I don't think you, you want to pay me to tell people I can't find any difference between any oil. And, and that's, that's where I am. I just can't find enough difference between any oil brand that makes any difference. And I've, I've looked at tens and tens of thousands of oil samples. And I can't find any clear pattern that any oil is better than any other oil. You know, okay. We, you know, we've used, so generally we sell shower tele here. Uh, we have a brand called DA, which is out of, I think, Indiana. Uh, years ago, we had a fleet that we worked on. They, run a, they ran Dryden, Bruce? What was that oil? Yes, Dryden. I've never seen a oil-related failure that's caused by oil. Right. You know, if, if they ran out of oil... It would fail if they had fuel in the oil. It would fail. Cooling in the oil would fail. But I can't say that I've seen an engine come in with no other problems. Where hey, the engine's wiped out. The bearings are shot. He didn't have any issues, any overheating, no fuel cooling the oil because of a brand of oil. We, we just don't see that. Yeah, right. And and okay. Pete, let me ask you this: hey, it, ha- Have you I ever, Kevin? I Pete, interval, let me. I, I looked up yeah, a yeah. 2250, which is what you would have. Your, your truck would be a ISX 2250. Uh, they're saying 25,000 mile oil changes. Now, that would be without uh, okay, a bike. Okay, that's what I've been doing. Okay. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. You can extend it out quite a bit. Okay, gotcha. And, hey, Kevin, I don't know if you have uh, access to the support at Let's Truck uh, email right now, but I, I did email you a little while back the, uh, uh, those oil samples that I've been taking on this. Uh, I don't have access to it, but if um, if Angie pulls something up in okay. time, she can. Maybe I'll I'll see it and comment on them. Um, and Pete, one more thing, because um, I agree with you. I've never seen an oil failure because of a brand of oil. Have you ever been able to find any kind of a pattern that says, "Oh, look, when we open up the engine, this oil keeps everything so much cleaner"? Because I haven't seen that either. I have no. I, I can tell you one. I can tell you one. From about uh, forty-six years ago, that would make engines dirty. <laughs> oh, really? What was that? Yeah, Wolf's Head. Really? Yeah. Huh. I don't even know if they're still in business. Wolf's Head. Well, I would hope not. If you could actually tell the oil was that bad. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You'd pull the valve cover off a small cam or big cam, and look, you say, "Oh, the guy uses Wolf's Head." But anyway, gentlemen, I have to run. So. I'm sure Pete and Leroy can take care of everything. And uh, Kevin, I'm glad you're healthy again. Feeling better. We will uh, we'll struggle through That's without good. you. You go enjoy those grandkids. Well, thank you. They're waiting for me to go bicycle. I'll bet so they are. Three of them standing here. Get to it. All right. All right. Take, take care. You. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Patrick, anything else? No, that's it. I, I really appreciate you guys' time, and uh, y'all have a good uh, Thanksgiving. Okay, keep listening. Angie's going to give me those oil samples, and I'll uh, I'll comment on them. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. Even with the oil samples, so you know, we we do a lot with the OPS, and we get so if there's a problem, we call people. 
um, or people will just simply email one and say, hey, can you go over it? it? I can't say that any one brand of oil sticks out where we're seeing an issue. Nope, never. And they have the oil brand on there, so we know what kind of oil they're running, what engine they have. And I, I can't see where, oh, don't run this oil in that engine because we're having problems. We just don't see that. I, I don't. I've tried every way I can think of to say, yes, this one's better. Here's why. Never been able to come up with anything. And I've had a couple oil companies offer me quite a bit of money. And, and I just look at them and say, it's just not going to work. I, I cannot go on the air and tell anybody your oil's better than anybody else's. You know, it, it, one of the things you have to, it, I always find this fascinating about marketing. This isn't about oil, but it's about gas. And I think it's Chevron or one of the companies has a commercial and they make this statement. Let me try to, I got to make sure I get the wording right here because the wording is really important. They're in their commercial. They say no other gas gets better fuel mileage than Chevron or, or whoever it is they're talking about, whatever commercial it is. Now, what's the first thing you think when you hear that? It's not about having a better product. It's about having a better perception of the product. Yeah. and and But does it come to mind that, oh, this gas must improve my fuel mileage, right? Isn't that what they just said? That's mm-hmm. the perception, yeah. Yeah, but listen to what they said. No other gas gets better fuel mileage than ours. That's because they all get the same. They're not, they did not claim oh, that theirs got better, better than anybody else's. That's marketing. Marketing. Yes. Yes. That statement is true, but it gives you the impression that theirs gets better, but they didn't say that because they can't. Because no gas gets better fuel mileage. They're all the same. We got to write this down, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to help you look. Uh, write this down. All right. I've got, uh, before we go on to another call, I've got Patrick's oil sample here. So let me take a look. Uh, did he say he was running the catalyst? Did we ask him that? I think he said he was. Yeah, I think so, too. It's his irons elevated, but none of the other wear metals are, so uh, nothing to worry about there. Uh, viscosity looks good. I don't see any fuel, no coolant. Mm. A little bit of lead. That um, We had a weird pattern if we go back the beginning of 2022, he was at eight. Then it went to five, four, six, back up to eight. That's not enough lead to really worry about anything. Um, they are suggesting a shorter oil change interval because on this one, he went 30,000 miles, and they're suggesting 20 to 25,000. I don't even think it was a real problem here at 30, but um, there's nothing wrong with the engine, nothing to worry about in the sample. I'd stick with those 25,000 mile, or better yet, put an OPS on it and get 150,000 out of your oil instead. Let's uh, let's go to Mississippi. Mark, welcome. Hey, uh, good morning. So the fix that they did on me in the Pittsburgh Power last week, my... Uh, def mileage went from 95 back up to 131. So the last two def fuel ups at 600 miles on each run was 131. So that was that was a success. Uh, so I have a question. Yesterday I had an issue on the trailer, and I had water. I've had I've noticed I've had moisture in the trailer. So we replaced the uh, air dryer yesterday, and a couple of valves on the trailer. Uh, I guess the air dryer took a crap. I don't know. There was a significant amount. Even when they took the, the parking brake valve off, uh, uh, water came out. What, uh, 
what are your thoughts on – I had a, an old, a car hauler tell me to uh, – he was told years ago, if you put a little bit of Marvel mystery oil into your air system, that it keeps all the valves in there lubricated. Have any of y'all ever heard that? I haven't. I haven't. He was told by a mechanic that it'll keep you out of the shop, and I, I understand that's the same the same oil that uh, mechanics put in their air tools to keep the keep it all lubricated. Because you, know, you got all these valves in there that this one, the one I had replaced, you could see the corrosion up in there, and uh, that was because of moisture. And I've been trying to dry the water out of it or whatever, but I, I was just wondering the thoughts on putting a little bit of that in there, like once a month, to, to keep all those the valves and all those you know ABS everything and that it, it, it gets air you know lubricated in there because you know anyway i guess y'all haven't heard about that i have not uh, and about sh- about shocks uh i'm gonna replace the two front ones on this this truck here and freightliner sells uh uh they sell two brands uh a uh, 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 monroe and an alliance monroe's like 59 alliance which i've never heard of it's like 39 a piece is it isn't and, uh, Alliance um, like Freightliner's captive parts division? That's what I, w- I was told. That's their in-house brand. That's yeah, I think it is. It used to be. I know for sure it used to be uh, the way they buy and sell companies. I'm not sure if it still is. Well, but I've Alliance. Heard of it, but I was asked. I asked some people, and they were like, "Well, that's their in-house brand." It is. Also, yeah. Shell Rotella. The other the guy was looking where to get it. If you want to get Shell Rotella, the T6, the best prices I've found because you know when the COVID hit. And you couldn't find it. The best prices are at Walmart. Number one, it's like twenty-six dollars a gallon. Then, then Loves and O'Reilly's each are around thirty-one or just below thirty-one. That's the three best places I've found if you're going to buy it per gallon. And because uh, I would like go into a Loves and I'd see it and I'd grab like four gallons and throw it in the truck. So I have like a little bit of a supply right now because I was just I was kind of like hoarding it because when you see it, you get it. But O'Reilly's that's what O'Reilly's charges. And if you go, if you're in a bigger city, you can ask them. They'll look at the other O'Reilly's. You can run around and grab it if they have it or whatever. But that's, you know, because you go to, like, some of these places and they want $40 a gallon. Well, that's just a markup. So uh, that's really all I got. So, All right. That's all we need today. Thanks for the call. And uh, I just looked at the board and we're all out of calls. Anybody have anything they want to close with? No, I don't. No, I don't think so. All right, I'm going to get out of here then. I'm going to hang out at uh, Fleet Air Filter for the rest of the day, and then I'm going to start heading north and uh, got a couple stops to make. So we will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. We've got uh, Trina Felber joining us. She's the um, founder and CEO of Primal Life Organics. We're going to be talking about oral and dental health. It's really interesting stuff. Like everything else, we've been lied to. Everything they told us is wrong, so tune in tomorrow and you'll find out what is correct. We'll see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.